You are listening to a podcast from Vineyard Church of Augusta. For more information, visit vineyardaugusta.org. You know, on the first Sunday of this series, I Pity the Fool, our, our series that we're doing on the, uh, on the book of Proverbs and living wisely, we actually started with a starting point, uh, which is the whole foundation for wise living. And it's this verse in Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10, that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. And if you were here that first Sunday, you know we spent some time unpacking the fact that this fear is not a trepidation. It's not a sense of being afraid. Uh, It's a sense of reverence and awe for the amazing, powerful, almighty God who has called us into a personal, intimate relationship with him. It's about having a healthy respect for his definition of good and evil And it also means that true wisdom, which comes from him and emanates from him, is is learning not to cross his boundary lines and and learning what they are and choosing not to cross over them. Uh, In humility, we choose to embrace God's standards of good and evil, not our cultural standards of good and evil, but God's standards. And then uh, we, we choose to say yes to those standards, his right standards, even when it's difficult and inconvenient. Now, one of the areas where this struggle is particularly intense is with our sexuality, all right? Let's just be honest and frank about that. We're gonna talk about being wise about sex this morning. Proverbs has a lot to say uh, about this topic uh, and the wonderful richness and satisfaction that sex can bring when we follow God's guidelines but also it speaks to the devastating pain and the turmoil that it can bring to us and to those around us when we choose to ignore God's good guidelines and his good standards. Uh, This morning, our focus is gonna be in Proverbs chapter five, which we'll use as a springboard to talk about the fact that, that sex has purpose, sex has power, and sex is a very precious thing that God has entrusted to us. Now, let me say from the outset that our church is committed to the biblical definition of marriage and the New Testament sexual ethic that God created sex to be experienced and enjoyed in a marriage relationship between a husband and a wife. And I want to remind you that the Proverbs is a very unique part of the Old Testament. We've got uh, a lot of law in the Old Testament. Uh, and in the law, God speaks to our sexuality. Thou shalt not commit adultery, okay? Uh, but we know that, that Proverbs, it very much aligns with the law, but it is not law. It is their Holy Spirit words that are written by several different authors that that speak specifically to the real life experiences and also real life observations where God's guidance and his instruction is heeded, but also where it is not. And Proverbs speaks to the real life cause and effect of both our wise decisions and our foolish ones as well. Now, as we look at Proverbs 5 this morning, I want us also to hear the words of Jesus, who fulfilled the law, but he also elevated it. 
And one of the examples of that is found in Matthew 5, chapter, uh, chapter 5, verse 27. He says this, speaking about sexual ethics. He said, you have heard it said that you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. See, he's raising that standard uh, to, to an even higher level. Uh, but I'm also very thankful that this same Jesus who spoke these words, uh, he spoke other words to someone who was humiliated and broken and shamed because of their sexual brokenness. He spoke to that woman that was thrown into the mob and accused by religious leaders for her sexual adultery and her sexual brokenness. And he spoke to her and he said, neither do I condemn you. Go now and leave your life of sin. So as we hear the instruction from our, 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 our God who loves us and is for us, um, I stand here and I know that many of us have, have, have struggled with, with sexual wholeness. And, and we bring that to the table and God welcomes us to come as we are and to bring all that we are and to lay it at his feet and know that we find grace and he has healing and he has wholeness for us even as he instructs us to go and sin no more and shows us how to do that. So as we talk about being wise about sex this morning, I want to look at reading Proverbs chapter 5. It is a long passage, so I want to go through all of it. And you're going to hear several references to the adulterous woman, but I want to stress that the adulterous woman represents any person, any thing, any activity that would seek to draw us away from the sexual wholeness that God has for all of us. So hear the words of a wise and loving father speaking to his son from Proverbs chapter 5. My son, pay attention to my wisdom. Turn your ear to my words of insight that you may maintain discretion and your lips may preserve knowledge. For the lips of the adulterous woman drip honey and her speech is smoother than oil, but in the end she is bitter as gall sharp as a double-edged sword, and her feet go down to death. Her steps lead straight to the grave. She gives no thought to the way of life. Her paths wander aimlessly, but she does not know it. Now then, my sons, listen to me. Do not turn aside from what I say. Keep to a path far from her. Do not go near the door of her house, lest you lose your honor to others and your dignity to one who is cruel. Lest strangers feast on your wealth and your toil enrich the house of another. At the end of your life, you will groan. When your flesh and body are spent, you will say, how I hated discipline, how my heart spurned correction. I would not obey my teachers or turn my ear to my instructors, and I was soon in serious trouble in the assembly of God's people. Drink water from your own cistern, running water from your own well. Should your springs overflow in the streets, your streams of water in the public squares, let them be yours alone, never to be shared with strangers. May your fountain be blessed and may you rejoice in the wife of your youth, a loving doe, a graceful deer. May her breast satisfy you always. May you ever be intoxicated with her love. 
Why, my son, be intoxicated with another man's wife? Why embrace the bosom of a wayward woman? For your ways are in full view of the Lord, and he examines all your paths. The evil deeds of the wicked ensnare them. The cords of their sin hold them fast. For lack of discipline, they will die, led astray by their own great folly. So um, this is one of many examples uh, in Proverbs where it has a lot to say about our sexuality. Again, because it is a wonderful, wonderful gift from God, and he wants us to enjoy it wisely. And for us to be able to enjoy this gift wisely, we need to recognize several things. I want to talk about that this morning, that sex has a God-given purpose a wonderful God-given purpose for all of us. God created sex for, for many reasons. Uh, ultimately, he gave it to us and created it for um, his honor and his glory, but also for the purpose of procreation. It was part of God's blessing for Adam and Eve right from the outset. We read in Genesis chapter 1 that uh, God speaks and blesses Adam and Eve and tells them to be fruitful and increase in number. God also created our sexuality for the purpose of spiritual and physical oneness between a husband and a wife. Uh, In Genesis 2.24, why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and they become one flesh. And as we just read here in uh, Proverbs chapter 5, sex, the purpose of sex is also for mutual enjoyment, mutual enjoyment that it is to be enjoyed uh, by the husband and by the wife. Uh, The the, the passage again, Proverbs chapter 5, verse 18 and 19. May your fountain be blessed and may you rejoice in the wife of your youth. A loving doe, a graceful deer, may her breast satisfy you always. May you ever be intoxicated with her love. Some of you guys are saying, I have finally found my life verse. I got to break up. You guys are getting a little too serious this morning. This is like, this is a little too heavy. So, and and ladies, you've got your counterpart in Song of Solomon. You can go and find it. Yes, it is there. It is there. Go and enjoy. You might not realize just how countercultural this was for Solomon uh, and the writers of Proverbs to be speaking for his day because basically in this period of time, there were two reasons, uh, two reasons for, for getting married. One, economics. Basically, you're looking to marry up. Uh, marry someone richer and someone's family who's richer than you were so that you could elevate your economic status and also for fertility, uh, just to have lots of kids, which also in this agrarian culture was part of your workforce and also had economic uh, ramifications as well. But here Solomon is talking about sexuality uh, in, in, a, in a form of erotic delight, this is very much a, um, you know, a different idea, and, and doing it with a partner that you've given yourself to for life, the, the companion of your youth. This is the Hebrew word for your soulmate. 
This is a, a deeper connection of not just physical connection, but emotional intimacy. Physical intimacy, yes, but also emotional intimacy. And this was a very different view uh, of, of how people saw sexuality in that window of time. Know this, that ultimately God designed human sexuality to be a, a beautiful and powerful reflection of his love and an experience of really what his love is like. Because it's a selfless love. It should be in our lives, in our marriages, a selfless love that bears good fruit and causes us to become more than we could ever be apart from it. It is a love that draws us into greater oneness both with God and with our partner and a love that brings tremendous pleasure. Uh, I, I do. The, the whole Song of Solomon is a beautiful ode to, to, to that beautiful combination of the intimacy God has called us into with him, but also the intimacy that should also be happening between a husband and a wife. So sex has purpose, God-given purpose. Sex also has power. It has tremendous power. God designed sexuality with, with incredible powers to bless us when we follow his guidelines, but when we choose to go outside those guidelines, those safe and loving boundaries, we uh, discover that often sex has great power to destroy us and those close to us. Uh, consider again these words from Proverbs 5, verse 3. The lips of the adulterous woman drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil, but in the end, she is bitter as gall, sharp as a double-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her step, steps lead straight to the grave. She gives no thought to the way of life. Her paths wander aimlessly, but she does not know it. Sex outside of marriage might be tempting. It might be a cultural norm. It might be alluring and exciting, but it always leads to some form of death. The incredible wonder that God built into sex, the two becoming one. Yes, one in a physical way, but also one in a spiritual way, one in an emotional way, one where, you know, practically speaking, uh, I've been doing a lot of uh, premarital counseling. We've been talking a lot about how this oneness is not just this metaphorical thing. It becomes literal from a standpoint of sexuality, but also merging bank accounts and, and families coming together and all those practical things in your futures become one, your very souls becoming one. And sex outside of marriage separates the physical oneness from the oneness of everything else. In mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis has a great analogy for this. Uh, he says that the guy who wants to have sex uh, with a woman without marrying her feels about the girl or the woman the same way a bulimic feels about food. The bulimic loves the taste of food because it brings pleasure and comfort, but the bulimic doesn't want to carry around in uh, his or her body the calories and the fat, so they vomit it back out. It's a pretty powerful image, isn't it? And that's really what the guy is saying to the girl that he wants to have sex with outside of marriage. I love the taste of you, but I don't really want all of you, so we'll have sex, but I don't want to fully unite myself to you. And I know that in our world, in our culture, 
you know, we, we say, well, what if we're both consenting adults? What's the harm? And, and interestingly, I, I love it when science backs up the Word of God. It's really, really interesting. In sexual brokenness, uh, we're finding that it actually rewires our brains in destructive ways that affect our capacity to have meaningful relationships. Um, neurological research is showing that the hookup culture uh, is actually doing that. It's reformatting our brains, hindering people's ability to form lifelong and satisfying relationships. Uh, this is from the book Hooked. It is not a Christian book, all right? This is not a Christian book, Hooked, How Casual Sex is Affecting Our Children. Uh, they say the individual who goes from sex partner to sex partner is causing his or her brain to mold in such a way that eventually accepts that pattern as normal. The pattern of changing sex partners, therefore, damages a person's ability to bond in a committed relationship. It's interesting, isn't it? Um, and this neurological effect is not limited to so-called casual sex. Remember, the adulterous woman that's referred to here in Proverbs 5, it can represent any person, anything, any activity that would seek to draw us away from the sexual wholeness that God has intended for every single one of us, and that includes pornography, okay? It includes pornography, which used to be just a guy thing, right? But not anymore. Uh, pornography trains a person's mind to see men or women in a certain way, and that's how you eventually start to relate to them. So, so guys, when we look at a pornographic image of a woman with no consideration that she is a person who has a soul and was made in the image of God, our minds start to see the actual real women in our lives the same exact way as objects. Looking at pornography rewires our brains in destructive ways, but pornography does so much more. And I realize that right now, with your smartphones, you could be you know, taking out your, your device, and even in the middle of the church, in a sermon, you could be looking at porn. Uh, hopefully that is not happening. <laughs> Fingers crossed, right, yes. But it's so accessible, is what I'm saying. I mean, it's so incredibly accessible. Um, it, it, it also, it, it destroys the way we process, but it also destroys our capacity for real sexual fulfillment. Because the fantasy of pornography demands more and more and more. It tells us that uh, a real body really isn't good enough, or that not only one, only one body is not good enough, and eventually it tells us if we're married that our spouse's body is not good enough. Consider the words from Proverbs 5, and instead of the adulterous woman, let's just put pornography. Pornography is alluring, like honey and oil, but in the end, pornography is bitter as gall, sharp as a double-edged sword. Pornography leads to death, relational death, sexual death, and spiritual death. And I know how rampant it is, and I know the horrible effects that it has uh, on individuals and our relationships. And I know that there are many people here, possibly this morning, and joining us online who may be struggling with this. And I, I want you to hear this. Yes, pornography leads to death, but never forget that our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, 
He died overcoming death, hell, and the grave. Uh, And he uh, died and he rose again to eliminate the power of everything that would seek to bring death to us, including sexual brokenness, including the power of pornography. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm so, so incredibly thankful that, that, that God's power is here today and he desires to bring freedom to every area of bondage in our lives. And, and I'm thankful that we've got examples of people uh, that, that God loves and, and is for and used mightily who, who are people who went through their own episodes of, of sexual brokenness. People like David, the, the man that all-knowing God chose to be king of Israel. And through his bloodline, the, the son of God, Jesus Christ himself was born. The one that, said, that scripture tells us was a man after God's own heart. He was an adulterer. I mean, for all practical purposes, he was a rapist, Okay. Um, And he was lured by watching a naked woman who was not his wife. But when he was confronted with his sin, he repented. And that, that, that psalm of repentance, Psalm 51, is a great place if you're struggling in this arena to go and let the Holy Spirit uh, lead you there and, and walk you through that. And, and also, we've got prayer teams here that we would love the opportunity to pray for you. Uh, this is an area, sexual brokenness is an area that has affected so many of us. And, and the enemy would love for you to be completely shackled with shame, but the Holy Spirit invites you to freedom, and we want to be part of, of walking with you in that. And remember the same words that Jesus spoke to the woman who was caught in adultery, who was thrown in the middle of a crowd, and shamed and embarrassed, and he speaks to her, I don't condemn you. Go and leave the foolish path of sexual brokenness that leads only to death. Follow the wise path of sexual wholeness that leads to life and joy. The Holy Spirit brings healing. The Holy Spirit brings strength and help uh, so that we can live the lives that, that God has intended for us, that we can experience the, the power of sex in life-giving, satisfying, joyous ways that is the gift of God to, to us. So sex is it's purposeful. It has a purpose. It's powerful. It's also incredibly precious. Uh, God's gift of sex is precious, and we should protect it and take really, really good care of it. And let me say this, this is something that's really important whether we are single or whether we are married. Now in your sermon notes today online in our program online, um, I've included a link to a a very interesting article article from uh, a website called Theology in the Raw. Um, And it's called The Sexuality of Singleness. And it stems from uh, theologian um, Stan Grintz's book, Sexual Ethics. It's a really, really wonderful book on a wide span of topics regarding um, you know, a theology of, of sexuality and the practices that go in, in turn with that. But in that book, Sexual Ethics, uh, Grintz says this. He says, single persons, like all persons, are always sexual beings. And that sexuality is the dynamic behind all human bonding. And it's really important in our hyper-sexualized world to remember this, that not all affection was meant to be sexualized. 
Not all affections are meant to be sexualized or sexually act, uh, actualized. Um, I think that's one of the reasons why the richness of friendship has eroded in so many circles. Um, because it's like, wow, I, I, you know, I'm fond of you. I have affection toward you. You know, then, well, am I gay if it's the same sex situation? Versus there are rich uh, same-sex relationships that completely are apart from sexuality or sexual contact that God is inviting us into, but we become so hyper-sexualized that we're afraid of even engaging in any form of, of emotional intimacy and, and that's why our culture is so dang lonely. And we're looking to cheap substitutes like pornography and all kinds of hookups to satisfy the longing for intimacy and relationship that God created us for. And don't ever forget this, that Jesus was a single man who lived fully in every way as a human being. He lived as a sexual being, although he was never, he was tempted in every way as we are. He did not sin. He was not sexually actualized. And it's important for us to know that and, and to figure that out wherever we are in terms of whatever our status is and wherever we find ourselves. I do realize I'm speaking primarily this morning regarding married couples. And I, I, in, in the whole idea of our, our sex being something that is precious, that we need to take care of, that we need to, to monitor. When's the last time you had a conversation with your spouse about, with your clothes on, uh, maybe over coffee or over dinner? I mean, if you want to do it with your clothes off, that's fine too. Uh, um, don't do it at a coffee shop though. Let's, uh, um, but when's the last time you had a conversation with your spouse about how are things sexually for you right now? I know that's, that's a vulnerable question, isn't it? You got to be willing to lay those defenses, leave those defenses somewhere else. And, and again, the selfless love that we're called to. There's this amazing thing that happens when, as a husband, I am first and foremost concerned about my wife's sexual satisfaction. If that's my first priority, and simultaneously, if that's her first priority, to, that my sexual satisfaction, it's a beautiful thing that happens. We both find our satisfaction. We're, we're both satisfied, and we're both serving each other and putting the other first. That selfless love that God is calling us to, that he wants to mark our relationship, because it is a reflection of, of, of the body of Christ in Jesus. Jesus, the selfless love, the one who came to earth, uh, he had every right to be served, but he came to serve and to give his life as a ransom. He is our example, even in this relationship of the selfless love. And, and the writer here in Proverbs 5 reminds us, drink water from your own cistern, running water from your own well, should your springs overflow in the streets, your streams of water in the public squares, let them be yours alone, never to be shared with strangers. Now remember, this was originally written to an audience that lived in the desert. Wells were really, really important. 
They were probably a family's you know, most important possession because this was a matter, having water was a matter of life and death. And the same can be said for guarding our sexuality and tending to our sexual relationship in marriage. Uh, married couples, I, I want to stress to you, know that it is God's will for us to have wonderful sex lives that are filled with intimacy, with fulfillment, with joy, with satisfaction, and hey, even fun. Yes, yes. And so I encourage you, commit to giving the time and the energy and the space. Um, you know, and, and guys, uh, women and, and guys and, and, and uh, gals, men and, men and women, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, all of you, I love reading articles uh, about couples who've been married 50, 60 years who are still enjoying a vibrant sex life. Do not, do not. Uh, it's like, well, we're getting old and like everything else this is going to die out. That's your choice. That's your choice. There are health things that occur and there are doctors, all right? And those doctors can prescribe drugs, all right? <laughs> Just saying. No, seriously. Um, it, it's a matter of this is an important part of the oneness that God has called us to. It's, a, it's an important part. And, and don't take it for granted. And, 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 and also know this. I know that there are couples who have had really bad sexual experiences, some that were the result of decisions that you made, others that, were, uh, that came about on you as a result of decisions other people made, and you were the victim of some really bad choices. In either scenario, you need to talk to your spouse about this. That's part of the intimacy. That's part of, of growing closer to each other. And, and also, uh, there is no shame in, in, in that. Um, and, and there is healing there is healing, there is wholeness that is available for every one of us. If you have been the victim of sexual abuse, and there are many, there are many in our society, there are many in this church who have, I want to encourage you, reach out for help, uh, get help. Uh, there is healing, there is wholeness that God has for you. And uh, we just desire for you to experience um, God's, God's kingdom, his joy, his peace, him setting everything right in every part of our lives, including our sexuality. And so I remind you of the, the words right at the beginning of Proverbs 5, my child, pay attention to my wisdom, turn your ear to words of insight. And this comes from a loving God who is for us and wants the best for us. And we also uh, know that Jesus was the, the full representative of, of God here on earth. He also speaks to us who have experienced sexual brokenness in our lives that I don't condemn you. I don't condemn you. I invite you to, to leave those broken patterns, to come and to experience wholeness and life and freedom in Jesus' name. Let's stand together. I want to invite Mary Margaret to come up, and we want to pray a prayer of blessing over our congregation. 
And um, so the worship team comes up and as they get ready to lead us in worship, and let me remind you that we have communion available at the table and chest to the left and right of the, of the stage. Anytime during the, the worship set, feel free to, to come and, and to receive communion this morning. But um, we want to just pray for God's kingdom, his rule and reign to just penetrate every part of our lives and in our hearts and our beings and, and also our, our sexuality. So if you are comfortable with this, would you open your hands like you're going to receive a gift? We just want to pray a prayer of blessing um, over our congregation this morning. So, Mary Margaret, would you lead us, please? Father, Son, Holy Spirit, we worship you. We welcome you. We thank you so much for your goodness and for your mercy. Thank you, Lord. Lord, we just lift up uh, every person in this room. And Father, I pray that um, whatever is in the way for them to experience intimacy, I pray, God, that you would just break that off. I pray, Father, that you would just shut the mouth of the enemy. I pray, Father, that where there is life, that you would speak death. Uh, I'm sorry, other way. That where there is death, that you would speak life. Where there is uh, just brokenness, that you would speak healing. Father, you just speak one word, and everything is changed. And Lord, I ask you to speak to every person in this room. Speak to them, body, mind, and soul. I pray, Father, that every person in this room would just feel the weight of your love, the weight of your power, the weight of your kindness. Come, Holy Spirit. Lord, I pray for redemption stories. Yes, Lord. I pray, God, that um, just when Lazarus was dead and buried three days and was going to smell, you erased all that in a word. Father, I pray that for marriages. I pray, God, that whatever is, wherever there are hearts of stone, that we will exchange them for hearts of flesh. Come, Holy Spirit. Father, I pray for an overwhelming outpouring of, uh, of your kindness, of your forgiveness, of your grace, and of your mercy. Come, Holy Spirit. Lord, I bless your selfless love. I thank you that the fruit of your spirit is, is love. And I pray for an increase in, in a selflessness in our love and our expression of love for our spouse. Lord, I pray that you would just give us insight and lead us in discernment to, to see and to, to recognize the needs, our, our partner's needs. And Lord, I pray that, that wherever selfishness would seek to, to, to rise up, that, Lord, that it would just be cast down in Jesus' name. God, I bless fruitful and constructive conversations among husbands and wives. Uh, Lord, I just pray that you would set things right, that you bring joy and peace in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name.